Now, are there any questions about the material of last time? Okay. We're finally getting to the text. Polycarp, you have a copy? You're sharing. Okay. Let's read the first couple of verses anyway. The Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. The English word revelation is derived from the Latin re velatio. You see the word veil in there? Veil. A re velatio is a pulling back of a veil. Okay. Apocalypsis is pulling back the secrecy, pulling back the hiddenness. When I was a, a boy, this was always known as the apocalypse. That's what it was called, the apocalypse. I remember my father, one time, he was working for GE. And there was an Antiochian Christian working with him. Never heard of him? And uh, there, was, there was a Baptist. This Baptist could not belong to any of the local churches because the local churches were Southern Baptists, therefore he couldn't drink. So he had a membership at a Baptist church somewhere in Oregon. (laughs) And my dad was always engaged in theological discussions with these men. And one day he quoted the Apocalypse. And this Baptist friend said, what in the world is that? They said, what's the last book of the Bible? He says, you mean Revelation? You Catholics have the darndest things. (laughs) (laughs) The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now notice here in the first three verses, you have some sense of urgency. John is giving a revelation to people living at the time as a warning and a call to repentance. But notice here, these things must shortly take place. The time is near. And I, I, I spoke to you on some length when we, when we introduced this book. Those who read the book of Revelation and find meanings in it, which are complete and nobody in the, at, the, at that time could possibly understood what they're talking about, they would have written that off as, I don't know, 
fantasy, dream, whatever. It would be nonsense. Uh, now, from the start, this very interesting book describes itself as a prophecy, as a book of prophecy. You have this here in the, in the, in the beginning, this verse, verse 3, the words of this prophecy. And then later on in chapters 19, and then one, two, three, four times in chapter 22, it's called a book of prophecy. Now, in the early church, prophetic utterance played a major role in the determination of practical matters. It tended to be, that tended to be the case much more than it is now. For example, the Holy Spirit speaks to the prophets in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation telling the elders of the church to lay hands on Paul, or rather Barnabas and Saul, and send them out to missionaries. Supposedly the word of prophecy identifies who is called. That's, I think that's still very, very important that the, that the church have a charismatic grace to spot who are supposed to be missionaries or who's supposed to preach the word. Uh, so a few years ago, I got a call on the phone next door when the phone next door was still working. <coughs> it's going out for the second time this year now, which is fine. I never get any calls anymore. It's just, just marvelous. Uh, a gentleman called me on the phone. He said he wanted to come to my church to preach. <laughs> And I said, who authorized you to preach? He says, the Holy Spirit. I said, ah, you want to come here and you're going to lay on us a word of prophecy. Yes. I said, you know the practice in the Orthodox Church? What? I said, we follow, we follow the teaching of the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> What's that? I said, if you say something, you prophesy something doesn't come true, we take you out in the back alley and stone you to death. <laughs> and we use big stones. <laughs> the conversation did not improve after that. He accused me of hardening my heart against what the Holy Spirit had to say. <laughs> and I said, you know, I didn't come here to this place on my own authority, and I didn't come here because the Holy Spirit told me to come here. I said, the man who told me to come here was ordained on Straight Street in Damascus. I was sent to come here to this place to preach here by something I could document that goes all the way back to the apostles. I said, now, do you have anything like you? What's that worth? I've got the Holy Spirit. Okay. I said, well, you know, Scripture says we're supposed to test the spirits, and that's what I'm doing right now. Okay. I said, I don't think you have the Holy Spirit at all. 
I think you're kind of full of yourself. It didn't improve after that either. (laughs) So the Holy Spirit speaks in the church and says, Ordain Barnabas and Saul. Lay hands on them. Send them out to missionaries. That's what they did. The prophets are mentioned uh, as being with the apostles as foundation stones on whom the church is built. The church is founded on the, the, uh, the stones of the, of the apostles and the prophets. We even know the names of some of these prophets from the books of... Uh, we know that Silas, for example, is a prophet. Remember Silas? Or Silvanus would be his Latin name. Uh, his, his, his secular name. Okay. But Silas. You remember where Silas first appears? It's at the Council of Jerusalem. Remember the Council of Jerusalem? Silas is there. Um, chapter 15. He is assigned by the apostles to go with Paul. Uh, uh, you know, this is after, after they've already settled everything. You don't have to keep Mosaic law. And... Uh, uh, Paul's uh, missionary team they break up right away Barnabas goes to Cyprus and and, and Paul goes on to the churches of Asia notice in that same chapter how often the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul do not go to Bithynia don't go to Bithynia do not go to Asia he's telling him do not go to Pontus isn't it interesting that as soon as a prophet, because he's identified as a prophet from Jerusalem, as soon as a prophet joins Paul's company, they start to get immediate messages uh, from, from the Holy Spirit. The present book, the book of Revelation, contains seven references to the prophets, seven times the word prophets. Now we're going on to the... Oh, blessed is he who reads and those who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. The reference to this book will appear later on in the last chapter as well. That no one may add to or subtract from uh, this book. John's good, John is, is, is uh, receiving this from Christ, this revelation from Christ, through an angel. And he is, he is calling it, he's calling it the Word of God. Okay. Not very many of the New Testament books actually call themselves the Word of God. This one does. Now, starting at verse 4, notice the adoption of an epistolary style. The epistolary style is the dominant style of this, of the, uh, that holds the book up. The content is prophecy, but the structure of the book is epistle. Okay. We'll read, the, read this, verses 4 and 5. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Notice here that this is the way Paul begins his epistles. Uh, Did I type out? I didn't. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Colossians. I have a little section there from Colossians. See that? 
chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, or in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the similarity? John to the seven churches were in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and is to come. It's a rather, rather elaborate liturgical style, is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, that is going to appear in the, in the uh, work itself. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler over the kings of the earth. Okay. But the grace and peace, notice there, is, is, is usually in binary terms, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Same words that are used in the Creed. I believe in one God, I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, Faithful witness, Greek word is? Martis. Martis. That's going to be a big word during the course of the yes, but, but you already know that. Yeah, well, I figured. I just want to make sure it didn't yep. show up there already. Keep us, keep us informed about your, your friend Stan, would you? Yeah. Denise and I have been praying for him, and, and uh, I remembered him at Vespers last night, and I, I took your email, and I put it on the altar. I keep the email right on the altar. I want it right. When the Lord looks down from heaven on that altar, I want him to see your email. Okay. For a servant stand. Okay. Now, we almost never think of the book of Revelation as a letter. We think of the epistle to the Hebrews as a letter. Notice the difference in style. The one book in the New Testament which was most clearly does not have an epistolary style is the epistle to the Hebrews. Otherwise, we'd say, Dear Hebrews, or something like that. You know, It would be an epistolary style. But the epistle of the Hebrews begins with a completely different style. It begins in a, in a homiletic style. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners, begging times past and to our fathers by the prophets. Okay. That's why you know the epistle of Hebrews is not a letter. It probably wasn't written to the Hebrews either. It certainly wasn't written by St. Paul. <laughs> uh, I think probably the people who who, uh, who first heard it read in church, they knew where it came from. And it certainly has something to do with St. Paul because you notice there's a little covering letter at the last few verses of chapter 13 of Hebrews. There's a little covering letter. Behold, I've, I've written you this letter in a few words. Okay. And he makes reference in there, our brother, our brother, our brother Timothy, and so forth. Okay. Verse, go back to verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. The, uh, I pointed out last week that the word to read means to read aloud unless there's some other qualification put on the verb. It always means to read aloud. The Greek, the Greek and, the, and, the, and the Latin both convey that that word for to read is to actually to read. It's, it's a proclamatory kind of thing. Unless there's something there to say otherwise, as when Augustine describes uh, Ambrose. In, uh, now, the author, John. The author described, it, it names himself as John. Okay. 
We have some legends about a John the Presbyter sometime in the second century. We've got some legends about this. And we don't know, we really hardly know anything about this person except he seems to have been a disciple of the Apostle John because the legends themselves go back to, to, go back to Asia Minor. Um, he is understood by many folks to be the author of this, uh, of this work. I don't believe it. I have to tell you it. I do not believe it. Uh, I, I see historically, I see no way this book would ever have gotten in the New Testament unless it's, it could claim very, very close relationship to St. John. The, the, when I think of the, of the resistance to this book in, the, uh, in, in later centuries, people did not want it. And to this day, in the Orthodox Church, except in monasteries, we're not allowed to read this book in public in church simply because it creates so many problems. This, church, this book was so controversial that if the church had not believed it came from the Apostle John, it would never have gotten into the New Testament. Um, in, in the absence of any further evidence on this thing, because it's, it's very hazy, uh, I've read lots of commentaries and read all the arguments pro and con, I simply don't see how the early church would have accepted this into the New Testament, being as controversial as it was. Uh, without, uh, and even without, without a direct link to St. John, even the epistle to the Hebrews, okay, about, which, about the authorship of which the church was a great deal of doubt, it was never, it was never resisted uh, for putting that in the New Testament. It was never resisted. Uh, it does not appear in all the early canons. For example, the epistle to the Hebrews does not appear in the... Uh, the Muratorian fragment. Uh, but I think that's simply because if the, if the work were written from, from Rome and sent out, there may not have been any copies at Rome. Uh, so we wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily expect to find it in the Muratorian fragment. But some of the ideas in, in Hebrews are very strong in First Clement. Yes, Chris? Well, I was just going to comment that, that even, the, even surviving the English translation, it seems like um, it's a similar literary style. Revelation, uh, comparing that with um, uh, the, the epistles of John. No, no, not style. Oh, no, no, not style. And that'd be one of the, that would be vocabulary. Vocabulary, but not style. Oh, no, the, 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 the epistles of John, and especially the gospel of John, are very different style. Uh, if, you take, if you take the chapter by chapter through the book of Revelation, <coughs> It doesn't. It doesn't resemble epistles or the Gospel of John at all. It's a. It's a very, very different style. Um, I, but but the, but the Johannine vocabulary keeps sticking. Is coming out. There's particularly Johannine words that are found only in John and Revelation. But we'll take those as as we go through. But I don't think stylistically you could argue for Johannine authorship from stylistically. I don't think. Uh, I'm not bothered by that. Uh, over a period of how long have I been writing a very very long period I've had to adopt a whole bunch of different writing styles depending on the context um, in fact for one of the styles I had to ex- I had to take a different pen name <laughs> I couldn't even use my own name <laughs> uh, you know who I'm talking about don't you Nectar Cleaves have any of you ever read, read the works of Nectar Cleaves? 
Darn it, I'm so sorry you haven't read the works of Necrocles. When I lived back in Oklahoma, I adopted I adopted this person. I met him in the shower one morning. <laughs> I was I had this idea for publishing something, and all of a sudden this person showed up in the shower with me by the name of Nectar Cleves. And I said, Nectar, I'm going to adopt I'm going to adopt your person for some of the stuff I plan to write. So I started writing this column for the, the, the I forget what we, what we called it in those days, but it was written by Nectar Cleves, pastor of the 4th Avenue Full Gospel Church of the Free Nazarites. Pastor of the 4th Avenue Full Gospel Church of the Free Nazarites. Seminole, Oklahoma. Very interesting. I always sent my bulletin. Not not the not the, the times of the services or anything like that, but the part that I write. I always sent my bulletin to the religion editor of the Daily Oklahoman. The I talked to him somewhat later. He says, you know, I receive more than a hundred parish bulletins every week from churches around Oklahoma City. He says, I read five or six of them, and yours is always first. Well, they started getting these guest editorials. Did, did he know you under your <coughs> he, he knew me as Pat Reardon. Oh, okay. Okay. Because when I used the pseudonymous identification... It was Pastor Fourth Avenue Full Gospel Church of the Free Nazarites. That would have been a congregationally governed church. Apparently. <laughs> and therefore, Reverend Cleves did not have to answer to a bishop. Apparently not. <laughs> Cleves didn't even answer to me. <laughs> so, to my astonishment, some of Nectar's stuff started appearing in the Daily Oklahoma. <laughs> okay. The editor of the, from the religion editor of the Daily Oklahoman had no idea that I wrote this stuff. He drove to Seminole, Oklahoma and tried to find the first, the 4th Avenue Full Gospel Church of the Free Nazarites. He thought it would be easy to find because they had a very famous writer living there. <laughs> he finally found out that it was me. Then I was, after I left Church of the Insurrection to move to Oklahoma... Nectar Cleves wrote, uh, wrote another message, finally revealing the hoax. He says, there never was a Pat Reardon.
I made him up. <laughs> and that's how I got out of Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote my own obituary, yeah. <laughs> What was the content of his writing? Was it uh, prophetic? Oh, yeah, it had, it had some all, all, all kinds of interesting things in it. It was all spoof writing, which is why they should have suspected that, that the author himself was a spoof. Okay. It was all spoof writing. For example, I had, I had the... I discovered a record of the telephone call that Gideon made... <laughs> to the tax office when his fleece was ruined to see if it was a tax, if it was a tax deduction. <laughs> and he also wanted, he wanted a tax break on all of those for the salary of all those warriors he couldn't use because they, they, they slurped up with the, the water from the, without. It had, it had all those things to do. Uh, what are some of the? Uh, I've got in, back in, in my office. I've got the collected, the collected works of Nectar Cleves. Um, our secretary down in Oklahoma City put them together. It called the Wit and Wisdom of Nectar Cleves, and there was all kinds of things. There was the, there was the, uh, the interview, because there would be interviews with famous biblical people, or letters that they wrote. Uh, there was an interview with Samson shortly after he met Delilah. There was, there was this, this kind of stuff. You know. it, was, it, was all, it was all fun. You know. uh, some, it's, it was so long ago, though. I mean, that's, my goodness, that's 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Um, I sent out some of those to the editors of Touchstone about 15 years ago. <laughs> but I had, I had, I had. Um, I would claim, for example, that I had, I had found stuffed under the seat in the phone booth, which you don't have phone booths anymore. I had found this ancient manuscript of something that Noah wrote, <laughs> and I was translating it. This, this, this went out. Okay. So anyway, I'm saying that, Chris, by way of... One writer can have a great variety of styles, an enormous variety of styles. Um, and so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not impressed by that. But I don't think you can say that John... that, that, that the style supports Johanna's authorship. Yes, Joseph? Yeah, the other thing is you deal with three different literary formats. I mean, Apocalypse is a very distinctive literary genre. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Copies and letters and sure. whatever the first gospel is. Um, yeah, yeah that, 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 that really, you, you made the point better than I did. Uh, we're dealing with different, different kinds of writing. When I, when I, did, uh, when I did the article on uh, Timmy McVeigh's execution, it's, it was very different from other stuff that I write. You know, The article I did uh, when I went to Kosovo, the article I did when I wrote, went to uh, Syria, there's different different kinds of writing. Hate appealing just to my own, but just look look at look at contemporary and, and, and recent writers. Even even within even within a general format, the great variety you can have from one person. Somebody like P. D. James, 
the mystery writer. Um, she creates all kinds of different things. You might not even think this was the same person at all. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, grace to you in peace. Okay. Then there's a doxology in verses 5 and 6. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see that? that, that it's, it's one little sentence there. Okay. That is the kind of sentence, beloved, that you would do well to memorize. Let's read it again. You could easily put this to memory. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Little verses like that, I urge you to commit them to memory so that you can use them in the time of prayer. When you, so you don't have to fight for your own words and you don't have to have a book in front of you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in our every tribulation. Little verses like that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. You can just sort of take them out. You see what I'm saying? This is an extremely short doxology. Um, Sometimes we always use exactly the same doxology. I think we sometimes may do it without thinking of the words. If you hear you hear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so often, it's unless you make an effort, it won't. It just runs past you. Now, I want to comment on who made us kings and priests to God, to his God and Father. This is a very, very important sentence. And I've I've copied out for you some some text from chapter 19 of Exodus, verses 3 to 6. I want to give you the context of that expression. This is when Moses is the mediator of the covenant. Now, the big argument in the New Testament is that the mediation of Moses has been replaced. Uh, Where you find that especially is in the epistle of the Hebrews, which actually uses the word mesitis three times. Um, Mediator. Paul uses it once in, in, in 2 Timothy. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. What did he do to the Egyptians? Red Sea, right? He drowned the Egyptians. That image... What's that, darling? I'd say he decimated them, but I'd get corrected. <laughs> <laughs> Decimating is totally decimated. <laughs> <laughs> Decimating is not the <laughs> 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 
It's what you do to your own youth. They disperse themselves. <laughs> uh, thank you, Nancy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that wasn't even in my notes this morning. But I, I, I was so teed off at Fox News for their misuse of the word. <laughs> so the other day I got so I got so upset with Fox News that I switched down to CNN. That lasted about that lasted about twenty five seconds. I went right back. <laughs> it's pretty pretty bad. It's all pretty bad. Where was that? I'll come back to Moses. Oh yes, the the, the the destruction of the Red Sea. That is going to be a big image in the book of Revelation. There's going to be a sea in the book of Revelation. And the Christians are going to stand beside the sea. What is that sea? It's the bap no, it's the baptismal font. It's the baptismal font. Stand beside the sea. You see, every baptismal font is is the Red Sea. But Pharaoh's army is drowned. It's the Red Sea. It's the baptismal font. And what are the Christians chanting when they stand beside the sea in the book of Revelation? The canticle of Moses, the servant of God, and the canticle of the Lamb. Okay. Same word. That's how the that's how the the, the, the first ode we had this morning. Where is Hannah? She, oh, she was here. Okay. Oh, she's hiding out. Oh, I see. Uh, Hannah did the first ode, did the first ode this morning. Uh, it's it's a magnificent ode. I was I was uh, I just went over to grab it because I have it in the psalter in the psalter up there too. And I followed along in the Latin. It's a magnificent ode. It's the first ode in the East. In the in the Western liturgy, it's the it's the ode used on Thursday mornings at uh, at matins. Uh, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him the mountain, saying, "Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel." So these are the children of Israel, the house of Jacob. What do you tell them? You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Isn't that a magnificent image? Riding on the wings of an eagle. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now notice who the kingdom of priests and the holy nation is. Is still the children of Israel. The reason is that we Irish and we Arabs and we Russians and we Greeks and we Romanians okay, have all been engrafted into that tree. Remember the Paul's, Paul's image in chapter 11 of, of Romans. So we are a, a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, right under that, you have another epistle. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Here's what Peter says to the churches that he's writing to. The churches of Pontus, Asia, Bethenia, remember the, all the to the dispersion. That's the word he actually used there. To the to the diaspora, the diaspora, the dispersion, 
and he's writing to a specific group of people up in what is now the Turkish Peninsula. You are a chosen generation, a kingly priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. See, all these words have come from Moses. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. Where is he quoting from there? Come on, don't make Julie answer all the questions. Who's he quoting? You were not a nation, now you are a nation. Not my people, now my people. Not receive mercy, now receive mercy. Hosea, 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 the prophet Hosea. Remember the names of the names of uh, Hosea's kids. As a little girl called Loami, Loami, not low is low, uh, is not not my people, Loami. I haven't heard, I've seen any little girls in our church being being baptized that with that name, and I don't encourage it. <laughs> I don't encourage it. There's a bunch of biblical names. Yamba Harshal Hashbam. There is an actor who took that name. Is it really? Okay. All right. Now, the, this book itself is addressed to the seven particular churches that are found in Asia Minor, but it's not all the churches found in Asia Minor. Can you name a church in Asia Minor that you know was there but isn't listed here? Colossae, huh? Colossae. Okay. All right. Let's come back. It is. They read each other's letters. Yeah, they read each other's mail. Yeah. Joseph? Question. Verses 1 to 3, do you think they were part of the original document or added later? I don't know. I don't know. The, uh, the, uh, you see why Joseph's asking that question? It's because verse 4 is, is the way you would ordinarily start a letter. And Joseph could very, very well, well be right about that. We don't, have any, we don't have any manuscript evidence for it. But uh, that's a very it's a good, it's, it's an attractive suggestion. It's an attractive suggestion. Could very well be the case. I would say, though, because of the, uh, because the, of the, of the transmission of the text through the life of the church, I would say it still falls under... Um, it has, still has a canonical authority. Yeah, like the last part of Mark, verses nine to twenty of Mark. Yeah, an excellent point, Joseph. Excellent point. Okay. Um, the the only the only argument could be made against it is that the book pronounces an anathema of anybody who should add anything later to the book. <laughs> that that would be the only argument I hear could be made against it. They were added too. <laughs> That could very, very well be the case. That the person who added the first words added added the last part, saying, "Don't add anything." <laughs> but I was interested in whoever was reading it out loud. But whoever was reading it out loud, don't out. Uh, uh, yes, very good. Uh, that same blessing is said when the, we read the epistle here in church, isn't it? Blessed art thou that readest. Okay. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Quotation from the prophecy of Zechariah. 
even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Now, where did, where do you get this? Where did, where did the author get this? He's coming on the clouds of heaven. Where did that come from? All of you are right. But who's the one who gave the Christological interpretation of that prophetic line? Yes, when? At his trial. Okay, at his trial. In fact, that is the assertion where the high priest rips his clothes and says, we don't need any further witnesses. You've heard him. Um, now, what, is, what does he say? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Beginning and end. By the way, in the, uh, in the Greek text, there are no articles for beginning and end. So I took them out of the translation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and end, says the Lord. He who, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega. If this book were written in uh, book were written in uh, Hebrew, it would say, "I am the Aleph and the Tau." Okay. But it's written in it's written in uh, in Greek. The Omega is literally a big O. Omega, as it's distinct from the short O, which is called an, an O micron, a little O. Omicron. I am the beginning and the end of vocabulary. I am the beginning and the end of speech. Beginning and the end of speech. There are two books which refer to Jesus as God's Word, God's Logos. Two books in the New Testament refer to him as the Logos. What are those books? Gospel of John and Book of Revelation. The Book of Revelation. Okay. He's called the Word of God. Okay. Uh, that's one of the places where you ask me that if they're related. Like, that's one of the places where there is a vocabulary thing. In both places, he's, he's identified as Logos. He's the beginning and the end. The Archi and the Telos. Now, both of those words are very rich. Archie. See, the, the archie is not just the start of something. It's the principle out of which the whole things come. The whole things come. An archie. Or as we read in the beginning of Matins this morning, in the beginning. Okay. Always, read the, always begin the beginning of the Bible at Matins. Uh, early in the morning when I got up, I read that first part in Hebrew. Barashith, bara. In our, in our key, hothios. In the beginning. The Gospel of John begins with those words, isn't it? In our in hologos. Okay, that's how John begins. Notice that those words are right here. 
I am, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Archie. The Archie is that out of which everything else comes. The big question to the Christian church was always, is the thing from which, out of which everything comes, is that a creature? Or is it God? And of course, what did the Christian church answer? It's both. It's both. Certainly the archie in, in, in the book of uh, the book of Proverbs is a creature. And that's one of the problems about identifying the, the wisdom of the book of Proverbs with Christ. Is we, we do not regard Christ as a creature. We regard the uh, the the wisdom in in, uh, in Proverbs as, as a creature. The telos. The telos is not just the last thing. It's that toward which everything is directed. Talos, in Greek, means a target. Target. That's the thing you're shooting for. The the thing out of which everything comes and the thing it is going towards. Archi, kaitelos. Kaitelos, okay. Okay. I think that is all I want to comment on this morning. I think that's enough. We've been at it almost an hour. I think I probably should let you go. Uh, Any other questions for me? Glory to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, the God who is, who was, and is to come, the end of time. Amen.